Well, the theme last week in our sermon was based on St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, and if you recall, was pursue, fight, and take hold. Hopefully you remember that if you weren't with us. It was the call to pursue, fight, and take hold. And St. Paul's point to his young bishop deployed in Ephesus around 60 A.D., was that he needed to lead by example, pursuing righteousness, fighting the good fight, and taking hold of the life everlasting, which had been won for him. But the bigger point, transcending the millennia and to us today, is that maintaining the Christian faith in our own lives is not easy. It's not something that can be done halfway or casually. It doesn't fit into our lives, but rather our lives fit into it. And this remains true. By the merit of our Lord Jesus' obedience and death upon the cross, you have been justified, you have been saved, and we have been saved by grace and sanctified by grace and will be glorified by grace, thanks be to God. But adhering to the faith takes effort action, and persistent, enduring will. We are to pursue those characteristics and virtues, St. Paul wrote to us, like righteousness, reverent piety, gentleness, and charity, and to make them our own, or rather have them remake us as his own, as the Holy Spirit works in us. But as we pursue those things and are transformed, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be resistance. And that, friends, is the theme of today's sermon. Why is there resistance to our transformation? Well, simply, because we are at war. We are at war. The reason that we process and recess in our church services to remind us that we are a column marching into battle, and we'll march out from this place into battle. Much of popular Christianity today entirely omits the thought that there is resistance to the Christian faith, either dismissing the spiritual warfare we're engaged in as laughable medieval nonsense, the type of the devil with the pitchfork and the forked tongue an arrowed tail, or, worse yet, embraces the things that are harmful and destructive to the soul and calls them compatible with Christianity. The Christianity of the Bible in the historic church takes very seriously the spiritual war that is going on right now for your soul and for mine. Our Lord Jesus Christ says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and destroy. And in John 12, 31, he says, the ruler of this world is to be cast out. The prayer book calls our attention to the war that's ongoing for our soul every day and brings it to us if we read the daily office in the office of Compline when it prescribes St. Peter's letter his first letter, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in faith. As Christians, as individuals, we are in the middle of a battleground. And what we say and think and do is significant to the state of our soul and significant to those around us. At Holy Baptism, we renounce the devil and all spiritual forces of wickedness, the empty promises and deceits of the world, and the sinful desires of the flesh. These renunciations are not just words, and the professions that follow are not just words, but rather, as we learned last night from the Apostle James, are truly impactful things in our lives. The reception of the faith found in Scripture, our service to Jesus Christ, our vows to keep to him obedient and adhere to his holy will, are nothing short than a declaration of war, friends. Perhaps you've never thought about it that way. But you're a soldier. And you're in the middle of occupied territory. You're in a fort right now. But you will go out to being in the middle of occupied territory. And if you know anything about warfare, you know that being on your own in the middle of enemy territory is not an advantageous position to be in. Right? That's how you get captured, picked off. But thanks be to God, that is not how we are to be. We're to be part of the body of Christ. And we have people, persons I should say, angels, intelligences, looking over us by God's appointment. Look at the epistle reading, chapter 12, verse 12 of the book of Revelation. It sets the tone for what is actually going on around us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, we read starting in, chapter, in verse 7. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Now skip down to verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O sea and earth, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Woe to you, O earth and sea, that's you and me, friends. You and me. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down in great wrath and knows that his time is short. Did you ever wonder why the serpent was in the Garden of Eden? Why was the serpent there in paradise? This is why. You see, verse 12 of Revelation actually takes place before chapter 3 of Genesis. Why is the serpent there to tempt Adam and Eve? Because the serpent has been cast down of heaven, from heaven, and is now on the earth and the sea. The serpent, the devil, the dragon, 
was kicked out, but kicked out here. And in today's scriptures, the theme of pursuing righteousness, fighting the good fight of faith, and taking hold of eternal life continues in this context, that we're reminded that on Holy Michael and All Angels Day, we do not fight alone, but fight in the company of angels and archangels and the whole hosts of heaven. The devil, the dragon, Satan, is real. And he's active. And he doesn't like the fact that you're a Christian. He doesn't like the fact that you long to obey God. And sometimes we see him and his henchmen more obviously than others in all of their works of encouraging wickedness and rebellion and death. They are hard at work in our world. And they desire most to turn those who are living a life of faith away from God, to separate them from God, to make war with them upon God, to make apostates, to bring fellow rebels, to, to seek destruction for those who love God. That's why St. Paul writes to those same Christians in Ephesus that Timothy was ministering to in his letter to the Ephesians, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Who do you think those are? Those rulers? Those authorities? Well, they're not human. The next line tells us they are spiritual forces of evil, fallen angels, demons. You see, St. Paul wants them to be aware of what's going on around them, swirling about in a battle, that they're operating in enemy territory. He wants them to know that when things happen to them or challenges happen in the church or things that are divisive occur, that it's not merely human will, but there's something else at play, that evil is at work in this world beyond the human element. The reality of the situation can be very intimidating, can't it? Hopefully this has gotten your attention. I know it did mine as I read through the readings today. And while we should note that this reality is real and intimidating, we as Christians should not fear. Our side forever has won. And our side, through the merits of Jesus Christ, along with the unfallen angels, are fighting back against Satan and the forces of darkness. Jesus has won the war. He has won the victory. But we await the consummation of that full victory here in this battleground. Again, Revelation tells us that the devil's time is, quote-unquote, short. That's why he's full of wrath. But as very finite mortals, as human beings, looking at human history, it seems very long, doesn't it? Until you consider that a thousand years 
to God. It's like a wink. All of human history is short in that cosmic sense. And therefore, look at your own life and think how very short it is. St. James compares human life to a vapor in chapter 4, verse 14, or a mist. Angels are there to battle and help us in the midst of our short lives. And the Bible is replete with references to angels. They have various roles in the Bible. Some, like Michael, protect and defend, as we see in Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament, or in Revelation, as we see today. Some are chiefly messengers, like Gabriel. Some are keepers of knowledge, like the cherubim, for example, who are standing at the guard of the, of the Ark of the Temple, or in the tabernacle. Some minister generally, like those who minister to Jesus after his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. The fact is, if we open our eyes and take off our modern or postmodern glasses that we read scripture with, angels are all over the place. It seems that all humans also have guardian angels. In Matthew 18 verse 10, Jesus says that the guardian angels of children are ever before the face of God in heaven. God has created them for worship, protection, communication, and ministry. And frankly, we need them to fight the good fight of faith. So in conclusion, what do we practically take from this? Well, we're not to worship angels, first of all. That should seem obvious. And yet, the way angels warn us, be not afraid, every time they appear, they seem to be so grandiose that they are objects of worship, not the cherubic things of the Victorian era. But they're also not demigods, like Hercules or Achilles in Greek mythology. They're spiritual beings created under God and above us. And they're not mediators or advocates between God and us either. So we're not to pray to them, asking them to go to God for us, right? As we say in the prayer book, there is one mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ. However, they're not to be ignored either, for they are God's servants as we are, and they're powerful in the desire to do us as Christians good, to help us in our fight, to help us in our pursuit, to help us take hold of the life everlasting. St. Clement of Alexandria writes in the 2nd century, angels, whether seen or not, the divine power bestows good things. Such was the mode adopted in the advent of the Lord. And sometimes also the power breathes in men's thoughts and reasonings and puts in their hearts strength and a keener perception and furnishes prowess and boldness of our clarity. What St. Clement here is writing about is that the angels, in a sense, are part of that mystical experience that we talked about this morning in Bible study, in our, um, in our parish class, that angels do interfere in our lives and are there to help us. They're ministers of God. Why does God choose to use angels? I don't know. Ask him. But he does. Sometimes he interferes that way instead of directly. 
Like they wish, they wish us to adhere to the faith and to pursue virtue. They are there to help. And as we heard earlier this year in our Patriarchs series, when Jacob slept at Bethel, God revealed to him a stairway of angels doing God's bidding and bringing him blessing. Jacob was chosen by God for a specific task in the history of salvation. And the angels were there to help. In John's Gospel today, Jesus tells Nathanael, also known as the Apostle Bartholomew, that he will see angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, agents of blessing upon the Apostle. Going back to baptism, the first thing that is said to the newly baptized person is this. After having been baptized, as the holy chrism is placed upon the child or the adult's forehead, these words are read. Receive the sign of the cross, a token of your new life in Christ, in which you shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified, to fight bravely under his banner against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to continue as his faithful soldier and servant to the end of your days. We should not only acknowledge angelic help, friends, we should welcome it. And in the Bible, the patriarch Abraham speaks to the angels, as does the prophet Daniel, as does the priest Zechariah, as does, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we, too, can speak to angels. Just don't worship them. They cannot read your mind, but they can hear your words. And we can ask them for help and protection, or things that we know are God's will. That's part of the right of being a Christian. That being said, we must always avoid going to them instead of God. We can also ask God to send us angel backup when we're in difficult circumstances. The angels are here to protect the church, to protect you. On the other side of things, we also need to recognize that the demonic is real that the Christian must stay away from things that speak to demons or open up pathways to the demonic. For this reason, you should never engage in Ouija boards, fortune-telling, palm-reading, seances, or interactions with mediums. It's not just a fun business. You're opening a portal to the demonic hallucinogenic drugs and all kinds of witchcraft are also doors that open to the demonic. And you don't want to mess with them. Because, frankly, while you're protected by Christ, they're very powerful. And so we should not invite them into our lives. We should never participate in things which mock Christianity or uphold evil as good. And one must be particularly careful around this time of year. Halloween is fun, and not wrong, so long as it doesn't involve calling on dark spirits. But thank God, friends, we do not fight alone. God gives us his Holy Spirit in us to do internal renovations on the heart, and he gives us the body of Christ, each other, to advance in our fight as individual Christians. 
And finally, he gives us the holy angels always around to shield you and protect you from the enemy's attacks and to influence us for good as well, to be agents of God's blessing. Dear friends, I probably don't need to tell you this, the Christian walk is not easy. Adhering to the faith is not easy. Let's make use of all the aids and tools that God has given us to pursue righteousness, to fight the good fight of faith, and to take hold of eternal life, to which we've been called in Christ Jesus, who became incarnate, died, rose, and ascended. For as the Bible tells us, Jesus will return with his army of angels to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Let us pray. O Christ, our God, the wisdom and power, the glory of the Father, who dwelt among us as the Word made flesh, and having overcome the prince of darkness, returned to the eternal joys of heaven, grant us even now, in the midst of this dark world, the full outpouring of thy splendor, and appoint thy holy angels to be our defenders, to guard our going out and our coming in, until by thy mercy we stand in the eternal light, where thou dost live and reign, world without end. Amen.